Good evening, everyone, and welcome this evening to the Construction Cashflow Show. And I've got a really exciting guest with me this evening, Richard Stone. He's an entrepreneur, mentor, coach, and he runs Stone Contracts, which is a block management firm as well, amongst other interests. And so without further ado, I'd like to introduce you to Richard. Good evening, Richard. Evening, Stuart. How are you? Very well, thank you. And it's really nice to have you on this evening. And Thank so, for the, fantastic. So for the purpose of the listeners, do you want to give us a little bit about your background, what you're up to, what you're doing uh, at the moment? Cool. So my background, I have, I did some tra management training when I was at John Lang's when I sort of just sort of briefly left school. Um, I worked on the tools for quite a while before being offered a job as a sort of trainee site manager. Um, did that and worked my way up to being contracts director. Worked for a couple of different companies doing that sort of stuff, but primarily delivering not just block management contracts, but we've done, I've done all sorts of stuff, worked on the nuclear bunker, supermarket construction, um, NHS fit outs, um, schoolwork. Um, I've always loved um, the kind of like major works projects in the block management sector. So when it came to setting up my own contracting business last year, um, that's what I chose to do. I chose to sort of focus on solely delivering that kind of work. Because um, it's what I know, it's what I love, it's what I've got a good, really good, good strong sort of supply chain to deliver. Um, and I kind of wanted to sort of focus on my strengths and just concentrate on delivering one single work stream. So wow. that's what we've been doing. We've just finished year one, which has gone really well. And we've got some really good opportunities for year two. Um, and I've got a really, really solid, strong team around me of like-minded people that want to sort of take and move things forward. So, yeah, in a really, really good place. That was until coronavirus landed, of course. Uh, coronas yes so maybe we'll come on to that in a in, in a bit and i think it's yeah. fantastic the amount of experience you've got there uh, what do you what would you say is one of the key ingredients to a successful construction project or a successful maintenance project um communication absolutely undoubtedly is communication and, and whatever whatever form that takes if you can't get on with the people that you're working with and effectively communicate the project deliverables and what it is that everybody around the table wants to deliver and what the outcome needs to be for the client, you're never going to succeed. And that doesn't matter whether you're fixing a tap washer in someone's property on a reactive maintenance contract, not that we do RM, um, or whether you're doing like a major works project like putting a new roof on or doing some external repairs and decks. Um, it's about communication and getting on with people and, you know, getting on with each other for the greater good of the project. You know, you're not always going to agree with everybody that's around the table, but it's about everybody being honest about what they're there for um, and working together as a team to deliver that sort of stuff. And I think some of the, some of the issues that are coming out now um, in all manner of different ways um, are as a result of poor communication. I mean, if you look at, and I don't want to get into really forensic detail about it, because obviously it's a live case, um, but if you look at the helicopter view of some of the stuff that's coming out of the Grenfell inquiry, mm. that's about communication. I yeah. thought they were doing it. They thought it wasn't my responsibility. That's poor communication. Absolutely. Yeah. I find in my own from my own profession through quantity surveying, we find that communication is a key thing. And one of the things setting up a project and tendering a project pre pre-planning the communication is another thing you know because sometimes it doesn't I find it doesn't always come naturally you've almost got to talk about 
how you're going to communicate with each, with each other beforehand to give everybody a voice in in the project and i think one of the things uh, that i find is bringing people on board in terms of communication really really early you know even before you go out to tender to get get the uh, the advice and input particularly of con you know construction expertise and one of the things we fall down on a lot uh, from a quantifying perspective is we might prepare bills of quantities but what we sometimes don't get is the sequencing of the works because yeah. I find that a rate against a meter square is only a rate in terms of the context of the sequence so if the sequence is out that rate changes so you know what's your view on that in terms of the you know the way that you see that projects are set up and uh, the timing at which you come in to start communication? I think that the, the earlier you can engage with people, the better. And I'm an absolutely massive, massive advocate for that. I mean, it's one of the things that we try and do with people. Um, and I, you've, you've been following me on LinkedIn for a while, so you'll have seen some of the sort of the footage we put up of jobs and stuff. Um, one of the things that we offer to our clients is to actually go out when they're very, very first kind of contemplating work, and actually film the block and have a chat with them and get an understanding of what it is they want to achieve. What are they trying to fix? Because the sooner that you can get that early engagement, the better chance you've got of getting the right outcome successfully delivered the first time. I mean, it's, I mean, it's, it's, it's becoming increasingly common in big sort of, I mean, I did some work in sort of the reactive maintenance environment, which was all competitively tendered for like public sector bodies, government departments, local authorities. Um, and they were putting out like pin notices, prior information notices, and they were trying to get early engagement meetings, which were good. We went to some really, really positive ones where they wanted to try and get input from the contractor about actually what does a good set of information look like on which for you to base your bid. You know, don't just send us a, a, like a, some pivot tables and without the backup data, because if you haven't got the backup data, you can't possibly make any kind of assessment of how accurate that information is so it's great having a set of accurate bills i mean most of our jobs we don't get them if i'm honest because normally most of the tenders we price it we will always say this isn't measured in accordance with smm7 um the, if the quantities of priority are only indicative you need to check yourself um but the quantities only tell half the story as you quite rightly say it's about the program and the sequencing yeah that, i mean you can you can have you can have an item that says there's a 400 square meters of tiling and you price that as a rate of doing 400 square meters but that doesn't tell you that you're going to be doing that in micro small windows as a square meter at a time absolutely yeah. so you'd apply a wholly different rate to that um, and that's why i think you kind of need to have that bill of quantities but also you need to have you either need to have a program outlined or you certainly need to be contemplating what the program is going to look like at bid stage because if you don't do that you're just on a hide into nothing it's a really dangerous place to be going down just pricing blindly putting rates against the schedule of, it's almost a schedule of rates just absolutely yeah i totally agree with that richard and i would always advise a client to get someone like yourself involved early to give uh, logistics advice you know and sequencing advice particularly you know i like to look at a bill of quantities as um as a system really yeah. but it's only a system when it's got the input of someone like yourself who, who's who's aware and knows how how those quantities are sequenced and in the logistics of a project and and i think that makes all the difference i think it brings a lot of clarity something else i think you're doing which is really really good is we we, we quite often will go out to, with a pre-qualification questionnaire 
But I've noticed with you yourself, you're 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 you put a lot of information and content out on social media. So it's almost like we're getting to know you and your business uh, early on, really. So you're almost kind of pre-qualifying because it makes it feel like, uh, oh yeah, we 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 know Richard Stone, we know his business. He puts a lot of content out, and that kind of helps clients get to know you and to trust you and like you you know uh, whereas i think the old-fashioned way of pqqs is kind of a little bit of a paper exercise paper trace paper trail exercise um and so you know since you've been putting content out on social media richard how have you felt have you found that have you found um what sort of positive feedback have you been getting from that that's a, that's a really interesting subject Stuart. actually um and i would i would agree with some of that actually and I've sat in big meetings and I've, I've had big inputs into putting massive tenders together and you sit there and you fill in these great blooming great PQQs with, with a load of PAS 91 questions and actually they don't actually get to the heart and the mind of the business and, that, mm. and that's that's borne out by the fact that I've sat in, sat in interviews with clients and they're like well we really like how you're working and we like the service you're providing but actually, we've got all these other people that we don't want to work with, but they've actually passed the PQQ stage. So yeah, absolutely, they, tell they me about it. They don't yeah. really sort of serve the purpose. Um, to answer yeah. your question, the the idea for me doing video content was one that came out of um, one of the mastermind groups that I'm really fortunate enough to be part of, um, and it was a it was it was a bit of a personal challenge um, for me to do it because it's not something that I was naturally comfortable with. And it was about pushing me to get out of my comfort zone, which I now, my comfort zone, a <laughs> long distant memory. Um, I've had a real mixture. I've had a real mixture of um, feedback. Um, it's it's partly done so that clients get to know us um, and who we are, what we, how we work and what we stand for. Um, it's partly to share information um, and to give value to people. Um, and it's also, it kind of works in a 180 degree way as well, Stuart, because what it does is that, People know who I am and what the business is like and how and what we work and how we what we stand for. And if they've seen that and they comment and they want to work with us, it's almost like a pre-qualification in itself that actually they must share some of the similar values and attitude that I have and that we have. Absolutely, yeah. It kind of works in both directions. Yes, it does. And I I can remember the amount of times I've been sitting around a table with the design team and the client and we're doing a, the old fashioned PQQ assessment. And exactly right. What you say, Richard, is that we've gone that one gets the high score, but that we don't want to work with him. We know the one that's going to do the job is, you know, better place to do the job. We want that one. But it's not coming out on the score. But what you're doing, and and I've been following your your work and your 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 um, content online, and it helps me to get to know you. I think yeah, that's what you know. That's you know, I understand your values, the way you work, what work you what you're working on, and almost pre-qualifying the type of clients you're working with, and that's so much better. You know, I could almost now give a client say, look, you know, there's this there's this firm, Stone Contractors contracts. Uh, Richard Stone. Look, here's his LinkedIn uh, profile. Go and have a look at that, and see what you think. Do you know the really funny thing is that quite a few, quite a few years ago now, um, I was contract director at TH Kenyon, and, and we used to do an awful lot of block management work. And we had quite, I wouldn't say slick. We had um, a good team of people and a proven system for connecting with new clients. But it was a very very old school. Little, not draconian, but kind of a bit almost like Victorian kind of approach to getting new clients. 
And I went and did a pitch to to a surveyors practice in central London. Had a really good chat, really good meeting with them. Um, and then for the next three years, we didn't get a single job of business out of it. Um, but they were all really positive. Mm. And um, I went to a networking event probably three months ago now um, in central London. And I was, you know, I was sitting there just chatting to two guys. And I, t I heard a noise in the background. Um, and it was a guy who walked into the room. And it was a guy that I'd been trying to contact. Um, and I'd been to pitch to it at his office at this time. And um, he came straight, walked straight across the room and was like, I love your content. I feel like I already know you. So I think part of it is actually that people get to know you far better through your content, which is real and honest and brutal, than mm. they ever are going to through death by PowerPoint. Absolutely. And I think it just shows you the change in times. You know, I think it's really important for uh, people to put content out on social media. I think people probably downplay it. It's not for business or, you know, it's this, it's that, it's the other. But, you know, it's really important that people get to know you, isn't it? And that you're, you, you start Most to definitely. be comfortable with it, you know? At the end of the day, Stuart, people buy from people. Yeah. And I want to, I only want to work with people that I've got common values with and I've got a real depth of connection. And if I haven't got that, and that's why, like, I mean, I've put a couple of posts out this week saying, do you know what, things, a couple of things have changed. We are we are um, actively looking to take on a couple of new clients. So do you know what, let's jump on a call and have a video chat. If we, mm. if we think there's, there's some synergy and there's some connection, brilliant. If there's not, we'll send you some sweets, knock yourself out. But if there's no connection there either way, then it's never going to work. Some of my best clients, I'll go to a site meeting, we'll spend 10 minutes talking about what's actually relevant to the project. Agree evaluation and the next hour is about sort of like common interest to do with like charitable stuff and mentoring like the next generation of people that are coming on board and stuff about what they're doing to sort of automate their back office and what they're doing with IT and what apps we're working on. We'll talk about all manner of other stuff other than actually the project because that's really easy. We know what we're doing. They're employing us to do a professional job. Everybody's happy with what's being done. So let's actually talk about other stuff. Then that can actually can drive some real value, not just for, for their business or for mine, but actually in terms of like charitable stuff and community stuff to actually sort of make an investment into the next generation. Because if we don't do that, then we're all going to be in a world of trouble. Just to come back to the one point you mentioned earlier about getting on, looking at things um, with logistics and stuff. Um, Logistics is equally as important, I think, as that bill of quantities and that program, because if you haven't got an accurate understanding of how you're physically going to get your components onto site, you're screwed. If you're working anywhere within the M25, because logistics is where it's at and people do not comprehend the level of detail that needs to go into that. I mean, there's loads of people. I had a meeting with considerate constructors this week because we um, we've applied to rather than just sort of ticking around the edges and just register a couple of jobs when the client demands it. We're actually registering the business, um, which means that they come and audit our processes, procedures, how we actually deliver. And they help us accountable to do that. And then they verify that on site. Um, and I had a really interesting chat with the guy who came out to do our audit. And we were talking about um, fours and clocks and doing construction logistic plans. And he said to me, well, you, you seem quite knowledgeable about it. And I said, well, I know enough. I know what I need to for my, and he said, well, if you've only ever done this kind of work, how would you know that? And I said, well, I haven't only ever done this sort of work. I've done all sorts of other stuff. I said, and I'll give an example. I was involved in sorting out a claim on a project in in central London where it was a, it was a vertical extension. Um, 
and the client was was quite a demanding developer but a friendly enough bunch of guys um, and they, they'd asked this contractor to um, give them some advice on how they were going to do this timber frame vertical extension and the contractor's advice was that they didn't need any kind of provision for parking um, to be sort of taken out of service uh, for a crane because they didn't need a crane but they were going to put 300 tonne of timber panels seven stories in the air hmm. without a crane yeah and it was yeah. like what they just couldn't comprehend this and they yeah. went into contract with this contractor and it's so so true that you need to do the due diligence when i did a presentation at the nec last year for the national housing conference um for their annual conference um me and four others did, or three others actually did a presentation for an hour and then a round table event um, which i'll share with you separately because i think you'd get some value out of it and it was about choosing the right contractor because just just saying, well, okay, well, we'll go with like a big national blue chip contractor because they can do all of the services. That's great. They might be able to, but is that really the best solution? Are you getting the people with the relevant experience from that work stream? Because if you're commissioning a, two, a £25 million hotel or a hospital or a reactive maintenance contract or an external repairs and decks contract, I cannot... Con I cannot be convinced that one contractor in the UK could deliver all of those work streams effectively. Absolutely, I totally agree with that, Richard. And one of the one of the drawbacks, particularly if it's a public sector project, is they the, the client quite often looks at the size of the business, but the size of the business doesn't always reflect the expertise of that business. And that's why I've been looking into ways in which we can cash flow projects differently, i.e., yeah. by uh, by by linking the supply chain, the contractors with the funding source, it might be the funding. Makes perfect sense to me because I've actually suffered last year that exact thing. I I was um, I was sent a tender to Price, um, and they sent it to me, and they said we've, we've checked your CRN number, so your company registration number. We know you're a new new contractor, but but we also know because one of our directors has worked with you in the past, and they really liked how you delivered a job, and it, and, that, and it was quite funny because. The ironic thing was that the job that we delivered, we came second um, for a national award on. We didn't win the award, um, but they asked me to tender for this job. So I tendered it and it was a really nice piece of work. It was a reasonable sized job. Um, it was about 220,000, I think. And we tendered it and they came back and said, um, you are lowest by a little, a little bit, not a lot, which was all, it's always kind of my thing. I'm not hanging out the bottom because it's never a nice place to be. So I was a bit, I was comfortable from that point of view. Um, and then two weeks later, they said, yeah, thank you, uh, but we're not going to use you because you've only been trading for four months. Mm, that's ridiculous. I, I rang that lady up and she said, I can't really talk. She said, um, but what we said in our letter is, is what we stand by. You've only been trading, you know, where's your bank facility? Where's this? And I was like, okay, well, if, why don't you tell me what it is you need? And I will, I'll look to provide that for you. And she said, well, it's too late. She said, um, you've not been trading for two years, so we can't work with you. Yes. And I was initially a bit frustrated, but actually in hindsight, I can probably see their point. And that was one of the things that when I listened to your podcast about the funding um, solution that you're looking to try and get some traction with, I think the more of that sort of stuff that we, that can, then can be done and rolled out, the better, because that gives small contractors that kind of opportunity to scale and grow a lot quicker, um, which which is obviously good um, from a contractor's point of view. Um, but I've I've seen all manner of stuff, as I'm sure you have in my in in my career. And I've yeah. seen I've seen I was MD of a company, and um, 
through no fault of that business's own, um, when the banking sector decided that they fell out of love with construction within the space of about four hours, um, we literally got we got a payment certificate in from a client for, or we actually got the cash in off the back of a payment certificate for just over 200 grand. Um, the business had a facility of half a million at the time, um, and the bank just dropped that facility by 300 grand within an hour. Mm. And yeah. called the money back and it was like how this is just ridiculous but then conversely i've also seen where i've done some change management stuff with some businesses of a number of years ago now um and they used to literally they would get a payment in off of a project and it would be sucked up in somebody going off and making some like, ostentatious purchase of a new vehicle or funding mm. some other kind of lifestyle purchase and the money was never never ever stayed and i think your term is keeping the cash within the project rather than it getting sucked into like operational cash flow or other stuff that actually the business has got commitments or people within it um, choose to spend it on. So I think from the client's perspective, it can only be a massive win. And I can't see why a client would not want to go down that road because for them, it de-risks construction massively. Oh, absolutely, Richard. And, you know, why would a client want to miss out on the expertise? Someone like yourself, for example, has got years and years of experience in logistics and sequencing work. And, you know, you can't account for you can't account for that experience. You know, it's it's worth its weight in gold. And, you know, they, they might go for a large national contractor who might then outsource to a to a, to, a, to a site manager or some, something like that, you don't really know how much experience they've got. So the selection process is, is kind of ask about face, really. You know, we need to provide a, a way of bringing in, helping to bring in expertise, reduce risk. And as you say, if we can keep the, if we can keep the cash in the project, and, and we all know that uh, uh, cash farming goes on at a high level. Yep, certainly does. Used to, um, to bank uh, large corporations, uh, operation costs, or or more so, that as you as you alluded to, they they make short-term investments with the money, hoping that they can liquidate that cash back into the project. But once they've got several projects on the go, that is very difficult. And we can see that uh, you know from the Carillion experience and many many others since that this is the very issue that is is causing the problem. So if we can find ways and means of uh, taking the cash risk, the cash management, cash flow risk out of a project, we can start to then to really concentrate on bringing in the right expertise. Yeah, massively. I think and at the end of the day, projects are delivered by people, not by businesses. And if you if it, if it makes it easier for clients to choose who the right project management solution is, and when I when I say project management, I refer to the whole team, not just the project manager. Uh, because I'm conscious that there's probably about 20 different roles that have an input at least in a construction management um, project. Um, it's not just about the project manager, but if you can actually get the right people on board to deliver your your outcome that you're looking for, whatever that outcome might be, then that's yep. far more likely to be successful. And if you can actually, and yeah, I mean, it is cash farming is a massive issue, but it doesn't have to even be cash farming necessarily. It's it's quite often money comes into businesses and I've seen it in contractors, you know, they'll get paid on one job and they'll get half a million quid in on one job. And, you know, the subcontract bit run for payments is due out the next week. So actually that money that hits their, their business current account funds that subcontractor payment run. But half those subcontractor payments have been accrued, their accrued liabilities across about 20 projects. So the yeah. money doesn't stay within the project. 
Absolutely. So yeah. if you could if you could use that as a way to keep the money within the project, then probably the other thing that you could do is because it is less risky, then you could also look at ways of actually doing away with retentions. Oh, absolutely. Massively. Yeah. I don't see any reason. That's a big subject on its own right. Retentions, isn't it? Huge you subject. Know. And, I, you know, we keep saying it will get phased out. It, it's really clients have got to drive it and uh, main contracts have got to drive it. I've even seen circumstances where a main contractor is working for a, a local council. I won't name the local council, but it is a is an actual uh, situation that happened. The local council issued the a contract to a large contractor on the basis that the local council wouldn't charge retention and it was a condition president that the main contractor didn't charge its subbies um, uh, retention however in reality the council wasn't charging retention but the main contractor was charging its supply chain retention and the local council turned a blind eye to it yeah happens all the time I mean, there's all sorts of stuff that main contractors do, and I'm not going to name any names for obvious reasons, but there's people that are do, doing that exact thing. There's people that are charging, that are taking, moving retention off and using it to do stuff on the stock market. There's people that are still levying 1.5% on their supply chain and calling it a prompt payment discount. Actually, it's just funding their CRTB levy contribution. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. You know, yeah. There's, and I- there's all manner of stuff that goes on, and I think, you know, I think having these like project bank accounts and these kind of arrangements where it gives the client and the contract administrator the, the ability to actually see where the cash sits within the contract can be a good thing. The only yeah. thing that I would add to that is that I think then you need to look at the fees that the professional team are actually being paid. Mm. Because, you know, there's probably a whole separate piece of work for somebody to sit down and, and commit a couple of hours to actually looking at where the cash sits in the job. And then actually yeah. apply some thinking to that. Well, Absolutely, if you want yeah. a tight fee because you've, yeah. you've had to tender those fees yourself and it's a very competitive market, then yeah. is the time allowed within that fee structure for you to actually do that? Yeah, not normally, particularly if you've got to, if, you, if you're tendering for a fee. I mean, the, the way that I'm trying to approach it at the moment, I do see there's a need there. And so that's why I'm setting up a, a part of my business, which is uh, construction cash flow consultancy, whereby we can talk to a client and say, look, these are the benefits. These are the, um, this is the, the amount of money you can save by uh installing a system that is going to transparently track your cash in your system you know and it's it's the risk it takes away so i'd like to think we could we could apply our fee in accordance with the risk a the risk that it reduces for the client b the 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 pace at which it speeds up the cash flow therefore speeding up the project and also i'm thinking that the faster the cash flows the, the the quicker they get a return on investment so i'd like to be able to say look you know this is a service this is what we can achieve you know it reduces the risk for you and your lender and our fee is a percentage of that you know as opposed to uh, and, and choosing clients that are on board with this because i know when i tender fees uh for 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 a project quite often there won't be any margin in it you know so mm-hmm. you're not it's not really a fair exchange you know yeah. we're giving advice and experience but not getting that fair exchange uh, in return so i think i suppose my aim is to to offer something to clients that uh, meets their need uh meets the 
that you know that, that they need in terms of of their investment and and also making it a fair exchange as well yeah it needs to be a fair exchange. i think it's a really valid point it needs to be a fair exchange because at the end of the day it's if you can give the client a better value then it's got to be about the value it's not the cost mm, absolutely so yeah if you're what if you if what you're saying to them is look if you go down this road you can competitively tender this to some some nice blue blue chips around practices and yeah, you'll get a really stonking deal. Um, but actually, what value are you getting out of that? Are you just going to get somebody that's just going to rock up and do a payment certificate once a month, do a certain meeting minutes, rattle through it, and then you won't see them again? Or actually, you're going to get somebody that's going to take some responsibility and take some ownership and be accountable for actually, actually not just ticking the boxes of, of the role, but actually getting into the nuts and bolts of it and actually sort of peeling back a few layers and saying, well, okay, well, why is the labour count down? Oh, okay. Well, where's the money sitting on the? Oh, well, what the groundwork hasn't been paid? Well, it's funny that, isn't it? Where's all their labour gone? Yeah, it's interesting. And it's interesting, Richard, that I can uh, I can actually see the health of a project where uh, in terms of where the cash is flowing and when uh, payments are made, even without looking at the project, if the cash isn't flowing the way that it's planned, I know there's an issue. And it's yeah. very kind of novel way of looking at it. But because now I can see the cash in the whole of the supply chain, I can say, right, OK, it's not flowing where it should flow. Then there's a problem. So I can get straight on the phone and say, you know, what's the issue with this package? What's the issue with that package? Is there any, you know, what what are your or it may be a, it could be at any level within the supply chain. I can I can just pick up the phone. You know, is there a problem? We can get it sorted out, which sometimes you can't necessarily pick up on traditional routes, traditional procurement, traditional contracts tracks uh, and the traditional way things are done. Yeah. On a traditional contract you wouldn't have that visibility, you've got no idea. Once, once the payment certificate's issued from the, from the developer to the main contractor, you don't know what the main contractor's done with that money. Nobody does. No, absolutely. And in all honesty, Stuart, absolutely. probably not even the main contractor. No, <laughs> as we've seen, yeah, we've seen with all the... Why, why they seem to keep sort of hurtling towards the wall and just sort of going from fifth to yeah. sixth gear and sort of making the journey a bit faster. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, no. Um, so, Richard, uh, I, I wanted to move on to something while we're on a subject that I know you're very keen on, and, and it's a subject that 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 that's, um, uh, 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 that I'm interested in as well. And that's around the the area of how we pass on our knowledge to to, to the younger generation and mentoring and, and, and even for ourselves, you know, you and I have been in the in the business for for many, many years, got lots of experience and. Um, and I know that you're you're keen on your your own self-development, etc. So what what would be your you know what what's your 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 take on how we kind of pass on our our expertise and knowledge and how we we develop ourselves and how important that is to have mentors and 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 to actually mentor people. I think I think it's fundamental. It's you know I mean I was never I mean I've the word CPD has been banged around since before time. Um, and I think it's never been more important than it is now. Um, I think, I mean, for me, it's, I love, I love doing the mentoring stuff that I do and it's something that I've done, um, I've done for a long time. Um, and it was really funny because I actually got sent a very, very nice bottle of aftershave last, just before Christmas from a guy <laughs> that I mentored four years ago yeah. and uh, he'd just been promoted to commercial manager. And when he first when he first started working with me a number of years ago, um, he joined as a trainee QS. All right, he, yeah. He sent me this lovely and it 
I won't, it, I won't go into details, but it was a really, really lovely handwritten letter. Oh, nice. And I cried. Oh, that's amazing. The fact that it was, it wasn't the gift, because aftershaves, mm. aftershaves, but it was the fact that he'd taken the time to write this really lovely, articulately put, hand-inked letter. And it was like, do you know what? Fair play to him. He's absolutely smashed it. And I spoke to him a couple of weeks ago, and um, he's actually just passed his driving test as well. So, and that was a big, big thing for him. I love it. I love spending time with people. If they've got a passion to learn, I can match that threefold with life energy in terms of spending time with people and actually helping and coaching and um, teaching them. And then at the other end of the spectrum, um, personal, personal, personal self-development is something that is really hugely important to me. I mean, I've, I consume content like it's going out of fashion. It was quite funny because I was talking to somebody yesterday and they asked me how many, but what, what, what's my preferred method? And I said, well, I don't really have one. I said, I like to talk to um, people quite a lot on LinkedIn, um, but I love it when people don't agree because that just, it's like taking a sledgehammer to the glass that is effectively an echo chamber. Because mm, if you yeah. don't get people that challenge you and don't get people that, that make you think differently or see things through a different set of eyes, then you're just sort of bouncing around in a little echo chamber on your own. So that's one of the reasons I like social media so much, because it's great for that. Um, but I mean, I've read, I think I've read, I've either read, listened to or um, read on my Kindle over 35 books since Christmas. Um, pretty wow, much, I mean, all sorts. All sorts of stuff. I mean, The Pumpkin Plan by Mike Malchevich, um, Live It, Love It, Sell It by Jules White. Um, a big, big favourite of mine was Donald Miller about building a story brand. That was a great book. Oh, yeah, yeah, I read um, that. Fantastic. Ye Myth, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Daniel Grizzly yeah. stuff about KPIs, which KPI took on a whole new meaning for me because um, previously I'd got the sort of the industry accepted one about it being about performance measurement. Um, Ryan Holiday stuff. Um, I've tried looking at a couple of, there's a, there's a couple that have fallen by the wayside that were a bit sort of deep um, on stoicism and stuff. Um, pig wrestling, somebody recommended to me, that's a really, really good book about uh, problem solving and working out actually where problems exist. Yeah. Um, all manner of stuff. I, I can't, I can't read enough. I love it. And if I, I might only get five or 10 things out of each book, but you know what? If I get some value out of it, it's good. I yeah. love my mastermind groups. I mean, they, I get so much value out of that. Um, some of the one-to-one -one coaching that I'm fortunate enough to be able to go out and get is great. Um, and, it, you know, all sorts of stuff. And I think the reason I said, I mean, at the top of the question, I said, I don't think it's ever been more important. And the reason for me giving you that as like a helicopter view answer is because the world is changing by the day and by the week. Mm, absolutely. I, I yeah. took my wife back to um, hospital a few weeks ago to see, the see a surgeon for some surgery that she's got planned. And um, it was the same surgeon who sewed my um, arm back on when I tore my bicep off quite spectacularly three years ago. And um, so he's kind of, he's not a family acquaintance, but he almost is because he actually did sewed my mum's, um, did my mum's carpal tunnel surgery as well. So he's kind of on our Christmas card yeah. list. And um, I was chatting to him while he was waiting for some scans to come through on the NHS network. And he was saying that he'd been to, his children are fortunate enough to go to private school and he'd been to a careers evening there recently. And there was um, well, a pretty, like an alumni um, guy there who was, I think he was in his late 20s, um, talking to this cohort of sort of 14, 15-year-old lads and girls. And he said, the thing you guys need to remember is that 
I've got a really close network of friends and there's five of us in my friendship circle. He said, I'm a doctor. He said, my other four friends earn twice what I do. Their jobs didn't even exist when we sat down with a careers advisor. Mm, yeah, well, it's amazing. If they didn't exist and people didn't yeah. bother to invest in their continued professional development, how would you mm. ever keep abreast of actually where the world is going? Absolutely, yeah. I think it's more it's more important now than ever to Massively. invest in yourself. You know, I think in the old days when I was growing up, it's investing this investing property or shares and yeah those things are still really important but I didn't appreciate when I was younger uh, around investing in myself and it's something that's really only come to me in recent years and it's interesting I did an exercise uh, a few weeks back and I looked at my life in every decade and I realized that I'd kind of reinvented myself once every 10 years you know in a way and uh, that's because the world was changing but in those days I didn't have really many people to guide me but this this time round I'm I've got some really good mentors around me you know people that are uh, there's always people that you can teach and there's always people that you can learn from isn't there and uh, you know I know finding uh, progressive for example I've got some really good mentors around me there and some masterminds and uh, and you learn off of other people that are on the same journey don't you and yeah, hugely, yeah. that's so important yeah I think you, you can learn off of people that that are on the same journey as you, and it, and it's really useful to actually learn from people that are on this that are on the same journey, but in a different industry as well, and and to share experience, and from people from cross from cross sector and from from totally different industries. I mean, I'm I do some stuff with um, Progressive as well. Um, I get a lot of value out of that. I'm in a mentoring group over in Ireland. Um, which has got, I think there's 12, 14 of us in that. I get huge value out of that and the sort of the um, the kind of the communication channels that we've got set up within that that are really effective, not just for like the quarterly meetings, but even like daily stuff um, and bouncing ideas around. And, you know, I mean, the world of technology moves at such a fast pace that that, that is almost a CPD sort of subject in its own right, that irrespective of what industry, you're in we, we yeah. all share the same challenges we all we all want to be able to work quicker faster more efficiently using the same amount of time that we've got and actually we're all pretty much anybody that's in those kinds of groups is pretty much an entrepreneur and kind of struggling with work-life balance because they're really really uber driven and desperately want to succeed um, and they have to try and balance that with their home life so they're sort of trying to sort of juggle those kinds of um, things as well as, as well as trying to sort of learn and do as much development as they can. So I don't think it's ever been more important to try and learn stuff. I mean, we're talking now using a, using an app that probably didn't exist a year ago. Absolutely, yeah. We wouldn't have been doing this and uh, no. probably not having this conversation around investing in ourselves, mentoring, uh, no. you know, uh, entrepreneurship, uh, you know, and all these things and the rate of technology. And I'm sure we'll all be starting to use uh, blockchain tokens and, and, and all that sort of thing before we even know it, you know. Yeah, I had quite an interest. There was a guy in, in my mentoring group at Progressive who's massively into sort of blockchain currency and stuff. It's not something I am, I know a tremendous amount about. It's certainly something I want to learn about, um, but it's probably further down my list than other sort of more, not not contract specific or, or certainly role specific, but more I'm sort of looking at more stuff to do with automation this year. Um, and working okay. smarter. So we've we've okay. um, we've done a load of stuff okay. with our accounts now. That's um, set yeah. up and working. That's hugely automated. Um, 
and then we're looking at moving that kind of backwards so so from right through our customer journey so looking at how we can um, use tech to manage our operational delivery um, how we can use how we can oh, use sorry. that to kind of that goes right the way through so it's about having that kind of golden thread right yeah. through from tracking the first conversation I had with somebody on either face to face or um, on a site or at a meeting either or that or social media and then like literally from there all the way through through the getting the tender documents prepared doing the site inspection putting the bid together checking what the qualifications are all of the supply chain discussions that go on throughout the tender period formulating the bid submitting the bid all of the interview stuff all of that all through one one channel um, and I think I'm up to about 450 different boxes on the process map of that at the moment. That sounds really wow. glamorous, but they're actually just post-it notes on my living room floor. Well, I'll tell you what, it's really fantastic how you're thinking about that and you're thinking about customer journey. And you're, you're, you're streets ahead of a lot of other contractors, particularly from my perspective of quantity surveyor, and we, 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 we procure uh, contractual work. You know, to hear you say that is music to my ears. So what? Tell us more about Stone Contracts and, and, and how it's doing, where you're going with it, more about the customer journey that you provide and the work that you do. So the work, so the types of work we do, we've got three principal work streams. Um, we've got work stream one, which is external repairs and decorations, which is on um, not all mansion blocks, but larger blocks of flats and apartments. So stuff that's got eight or more units in generally. Um, so external repairs and decks, so it's roof repairs, chimney stack repairs, um, joinery repairs, rainwater goods, surveying. Um, it's about essentially like cyclical maintenance so that when, when we leave a building and hand it back at practical completion to the independent contract administrator, they know that they're not likely to get any sort of hmm. short of sort of a storm, any kind of sort of day to day issues because we've had a really good range over the building. Um, and not only that, but actually it looks a million times better than when we've appeared. I mean, we've got this thing about curing house embarrassment. And for me, that's about actually, you know, when people buy a house, unless they're buying a wreck or a flat, people fall in love with property. That's what makes them want to buy it. Over time, properties get tired. Yeah. People don't, maintenance isn't done. So when we come along and do, do our package of works, it's about restoring people's love for that property, which is essentially their biggest asset typically. Yeah. So that's the external repairs kind. We also do common parts refurbishment programs on blocks. So it might be something as simple as just literally a bit of compliance testing, check the fire doors, check the fire alarm, check the AOVs and stuff, and then decorate and clean the carpets. It could be at the other end of the scale where it's asbestos lift, lift shaft removals, new lifts, new ceilings, new smoke alarms, new electrics, um, small power and lighting, emergency lighting, carpentry, finishes, ceilings, um, and it's literally one end of the spectrum to the other. Those types of jobs mm -hmm. range from sort of five five thousand right up to half a million. Um, and then the other stuff that we do, which we've done, we've done for I've done for probably, I mean I can remember doing one sort of almost 20 years ago now, um, passive fire passive fire work, which was some fire mm -hmm. doors, um, service penetrations, making sure that the building was left in a safe manner and that all the fire compartmentation had its in, had the integrity that it was designed to have um, yeah. and we do quite a lot of that sort of work and we're literally just about to start one in a block 
in North London where I did a job three years ago and they've actually invited me to go back and do a load more work there, which is always nice. It's always mm. nice to be invited yeah. back to work on the same block with the same client because mm. it kind of yeah. underwrites the, the service that actually we provide and the value that we give to clients. And, you know, I mean, probably 90% of our business is repeat business. So oh, to get, yeah. to get that, that recurring work, and that's not to say it's always on the same blocks, but it's with the same people. And for me, that's what it's about. It's about those people. So, so we've kind of got the free work streams. Um, I, I would like to see each of them grow. Um, and the intention is that each of them grow. We've just recruited a contracts manager um, a few weeks back, um, completely out of sector, um, because I want him to come on board and actually not come with the, well, I've always done it this way, um, because there's a lot of people out there that do it. And people do, every, everybody's got their own take on how things are going to be done. Um, so we're making a massive investment in his training, his development. We've just literally drawn out a big, huge infographic with his training plan on for the next one, two and four years. And I think there's mm. something like 40 events in that, um, which is yeah. really exciting. I'm really, really keen to do do some of the stuff with that because that's going to that's, you know, that's legacy building stuff. That is. That's helping oh, somebody man. to um, sort of leverage their own personal capability and actually push their own boundaries of what they can achieve. Um, and yeah. that's what I, one of the reasons I set the business up to create opportunity for other people. So yeah. that's, that's, it, amazing, yeah. that's where I want yeah. to sort of move forward with it really. And what I'd like to do over time is actually get him more involved and then build a team of people, um, take on some additional site management, maybe look, I mean, my QS and I do, I do most of it myself because I'm a numbers man anyway. Um, but maybe look at um, bolting on some, some people and bringing people on board that can do that in the future. Um, and build a build a build a slightly bigger team. I mean, I'm really fortunate. I've got a really solid team of people. Um, our accountancy people are just absolutely out of this world. We've got an amazing social media champion. The safety guy that does my safety and my quality and stuff. I went to college with him when I was on the tools 25 years ago at night school, um, and he does my safety. And the fact that you know we go back a quarter of a century, I love that because we can just like the banter and the crack is just awesome and that's part of what I love about the industry. Yeah. And it's quite funny because the guy from Considerate Constructors commented on like the fact that we we just we knew what each other were thinking when we were sitting talking about the business the other day. And you know, that's that's why I love what I do. It's about the people. Oh, absolutely. That's fantastic. So Richard, if uh, any of our, our listeners um, listening this evening wanted to get in touch with you, they had any uh, needs around their block management and all the things that you've described. Uh, how can they get in, how can they get in touch with you? So as we stand today, they can um, either email me. Um, my email address is on our website. My calendar is also on our website if they want to book a call, completely no obligation call. Just go to the website at stonecontracts.com um, and there's a link there to book a calendar. Um, I'm in the middle of writing my book, which will be out this year. So if they want to send me an email with the word book in the subject line, they can reserve a copy of my book. And we are probably about four weeks away from launching our podcast, which is going to be called On The Block. So they can just drop me a message with a web podcast in and I will send them a link to the first show um, so that they can um, get some content that way. Wow, that sounds really exciting, the book. So I'm really excited to to uh, for that to come out because I'll, I'll be one of the first to read that, Richard. Fantastic. And to benefit from your experience of life and business and construction and management so I'll, I'll be really interested in that 
And so yeah, it would definitely be, um, be a, an interesting ride for the reader. I'll give, I'll, I'll give you that. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, it's been an absolute pleasure speaking to you, Richard, and I'm sure everyone's enjoyed it. And um, so I do please do come on the podcast again. I'm sure there's lots of other things we can talk about. Oh, and when definitely. the book comes out, perhaps you can um, you can come back on the podcast and we, we'll talk about your book. Yeah, definitely. I'd love to. Fantastic. Thanks. Thanks very much, Richard. No worries. Cheers, everyone. Bye Cheers now. Have a good evening. And you. This has been the Construction Cash Flow Show, and we look forward to seeing you in the next episode. Bye for now.